the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 446 for December 21st, 2014. The FCC provides guidance on data roaming rates, T-Mobile announces Data Stash, and BlackBerry announces a classic. My name is Mickey Papillon, and this podcast is brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. So I'm alone this week as Joey tends to some family affairs, and while we're in the midst of the holidays with time for celebration, of course, relaxation, gift-giving, and for some of us, travel... We still found some news to report on, and starting things off this week, a new ruling from the Federal Communications Commission. The FCC on Thursday granting T-Mobile's petition that the commission provide guidance on the application of commercial reasonableness standard that's regarding data roaming rates. T-Mobile filed the petition earlier this year to help it and other carriers negotiate better roaming rates with rivals AT&T and Verizon Wireless. Since 2011, the FCC has mandated that all carriers allow competing devices to roam onto their networks at fair prices, but did not suggest what those fair prices should be. T-Mobile argued that the FCC's 2011 mandate did not provide enough guidance for settling rates and resulting fees charged by AT&T and Verizon have been quite high. Sprint and other members of the Competitive Carriers Association supported T-Mobile's position, while AT&T and Verizon strongly opposed it. They argued that guidance should result in reduced rates over the long term and would serve as unnecessary regulation. After considering both positions, the FCC agreed that T-Mobile's, with T-Mobile that it should offer guidance on reasonable pricing. Specifically, the FCC will adopt T-Mobile's four proposed benchmarks when assessing the reasonableness standard. So these are, number one, retail rates uh, for roaming. Of course, number two, international roaming rates. Number three, MVNO and resale rates. And finally, roaming rates charged by other providers. Now, according to the FCC, they said, quote, in our view, the additional guidance we provide under the standard set forth will facilitate the ability of parties to negotiate successful data roaming agreements, which in turn will promote the provision of high quality advanced broadband services by multiple service providers in urban, suburban and rural areas that benefit all American consumers. So basically what we're looking at here is some mandates done by the FCC that will essentially drop the rates for the carriers that are paying for roaming on other carriers that uh, may not be a, have as large of networks or don't have them built out in areas where uh, these uh, the, the roaming agreements are taking place on. So what you have to realize with this is that it's not going to necessarily change anything in the short term for you as the consumer, but in the long term, this could reduce rates or uh, certainly it could allow for other things to to happen here. Um, certainly it could, uh, you know, certain agreements may not be in place moving forward if the rates are too low, etc. So keep those things in mind as you go about choosing which carrier you're going to use. T-Mobile this week announcing a new initiative called Data Stash. This is a way for consumers to retain unused data from month to month. Rather than allow unused data to expire, they will let consumers keep access to that data for up to a year. For example, customers who have a plan with 5 gigs of data access per month but only use 3 gigs will see the unused 2 gigabytes added to their monthly allotment for the following month for a total of 7 gigabytes available that month. 
Further, to kickstart the service, T-Mobile is putting 10 gigs of data in each customer's data bank. T-Mobile is requiring a minimum service level in order to qualify for Data Stash. Data Stash is available for free to T-Mobile customers with postpaid simple choice plans who have purchased at least 3 gigs of phone data or 1 gig of tablet data per month. T-Mobile said there's no limit to how much data you can collect and store in Data Stash, and they said that you won't lose the data that you don't use. An interesting concept, something that I think we've talked about on this show before, at least I've thought about it a number of times. And uh, it, it's one of those things that as we as we go through time, obviously we see things like unlimited minutes have uh, taken the place of uh, a set number of minutes that you had each month. Uh, and, uh, you know, b- before that you had AT&T with the rollover minutes. And it was a very interesting proposition for those that only used, a, you know, a slight number of minutes every month, but then had certain months where used a lot of minutes. And uh, as we move into the data world, obviously the, the more data you use, the more data you're going to want to buy every month. But there are certainly months where you spend a lot more time in Wi-Fi connected areas. And there are more times where months that you spend uh, in areas that don't have as much uh, Wi-Fi and you're using more data. So there are there's kind of the back and forth of this that I think is very interesting how T-Mobile is, is proposing to do this with the 10 gigs up front in the customer's data bank, obviously getting people comfortable with the fact that there's not going to be an overage uh, of uh, data when you've got a little bit of a bank stored up there. So very interesting stuff. I like it. I like what they're doing. I do not anticipate anyone else taking, uh, t- you know, taking this and, and replicating it. It just is one of those things that goes along with the other uncarrier announcements that they've had. None of those have uh, been followed by by any of the other carriers either. You don't see free international roaming. You don't see free music streaming. You don't see free uh, messaging on planes. Any of these things, which are very interesting and compelling, uh, are what is uh, T-Mobile is really banking on. That is going to be a great thing for them uh, to bring in more consumers onto their network. Now, uh, one thing I will say with all of the marketing that they're doing around these different promotions, the one thing that we're not seeing uh, is them expanding the service into more rural areas. However, if you happen to be in an area with good T-Mobile service, you may now see additional expanded LTE service. So the availability of dual band LTE is now available in a total of 26 major U.S. cities and 120 smaller metro areas. The newest additions include all of New York City, Long Island, and northern New Jersey, with Central Jersey and Westchester County, New York, coming soon. According to T-Mobile, customers in the New York City metro area can expect peak download speeds of 100 megabits per second, with average download speeds at around 22 megabits per second. They're using 700 megahertz spectrum to supplement their LTE coverage alongside the existing AWS spectrum. They're marketing the pairing as wideband LTE. This is a similar type of pairing that is known uh, to Verizon customers as XLTE and to Sprint as Sprint Spark. So basically taking advantage of using multiple bands, different amounts of spectrum in each of those bands to uh, to give you faster speeds on uh, both the uplink and the downlink. So good news there if you happen to be in one of those networks. Now regarding its LTE network overall, T-Mobile has expanded the service uh, of its LTE footprint to cover 260 million pops. That's an increase of 10 million in the last two months. T-Mobile also said it's begun deploying LTE on its 700 megahertz spectrum holdings that we just talked about. They uh, have now have customers in several markets, including Cleveland, Colorado Springs, Minneapolis, and Washington, D.C. that can access LTE on 700 megahertz 
megahertz with proper, properly equip, equipped devices. The 700 megahertz coverage joins the AWS spectrum, providing better in-building coverage and capacity. T-Mobile says 700 megahertz spectrum covers 190 million pops around the country, though they didn't say how long it would take before they light up all of the LTE covering those. Uh, further, T-Mobile's CEO, John Ledger, says it will replace all of its GSM and Edge coverage with LTE across its AWS and PCS spectrum where it remains. They aim to complete the replacement with LTE by next year. This is big news. Uh, if you talk about where uh, you know where they're going, and it's really to a, a data a data first network. You hear them talk a lot about data and, and how big of a, a deal this is. And you know, generally, if you if you talk to someone who's on T-Mobile, they'll tell you that you know the most the majority of the time when they're in good T-Mobile service uh, they're going to have a very good experience the problem is is when you hit up a uh, an area that is is not as densely populated maybe it's outside of major freeways uh, and the like, and you're going to find yourself with uh, edge service uh, almost uh, almost all the time. And so they just over time need to cover all of that service, and they need to get that that network robust so that they can uh, they can compete with the other guys that are out there. Obviously, you go onto Verizon and you travel all around, and um, you see LTE quite a bit. So uh, this is something that is obviously a, a good goal. I think consumers are going to respond well to it as they continue along here. And generally, it's uh, it's a good thing for all of us that are uh, reviewing and talking talking about the different networks that are out there. Finally, this week from T-Mobile, the carrier on Friday agreed to pay the FTC and FCC a total of $90 million to settle a complaint for allowing third parties to charge consumers for unwanted services. An FTC and FCC investigation found T-Mobile guilty of breaking the law by engaging in an unjust and unreasonable practice of billing consumers for products and services that had not been authorized. Also, they failed to provide a brief, clear, and non-misleading plain language description of the third-party charges on a telephone bill that was sent to a consumer. So basically they charged or have been charged a minimum of $67.5 million for repayments to consumers who claim that they were overcharged. They'll also pay $18 million to all 50 U.S. states in the District of Columbia and an additional $4.5 million to the U.S. Treasury. Now as part of the decree, T-Mobile is prohibited from charging customers for third-party SMS products and services. It also requires T-Mobile to create a system so consumers can verify third-party charges before they appear on their bills. T-Mobile will have to block third-party charges for free and also make it easier for consumers to identify possible fraudulent charges. They'll also train customer service staff to properly resolve customer complaints regarding these unauthorized charges. They said cramming is a significant problem. And he said for too long, this is uh, FCC Chairman Tom Wheeler says, for too long, millions of consumers have been scammed, billed for bogus charges on their cell phone bills and services that they didn't request. This is unacceptable. And today's settlement is a win for consumers who have been victimized by the cramming. It means compensation for T-Mobile customers who were fraudulently billed for these services that they did not want or did not authorize. And it goes one step further. The action will help protect all of T-Mobile's customers from bogus third-party charges in the future. Sprint also recently has been sued for a similar practice. Uh, we'll see what happens with that one, but uh, expect a payout to occur. AT&T settled a similar cramming charges lawsuit with the FCC for $105 million from earlier this year. 
Now, in other news, Apple Pay has more support from banks and retailers starting this week, according to the New York Times. They now have SunTrust, Barclay Card, and USAA agreeing to support Apple Pay on their cards, and 10 more banks, including TD Bank North America and Commerce Bank, adding support for Apple Pay. Staples will begin accepting Apple Pay at its 1,400 stores uh, beginning this week, and the Amway Center, where the Orlando Magic basketball team plays, will begin accepting it at their concession stands during games. With the recent announcement, the service now supports cards representing about 90% of the credit card purchase volume in the United States. This is up from 80% that uh, that just had happened two months ago, or that where they were at two months ago when Apple Pay was first launched. Apple Pay still has a long way to go, though, of course. Well, you've got 90% of the cards uh, that uh, represent the purchase volume in the U.S. are covered. You still do not have the vast majority of the businesses that are out there. Obviously, there's uh, more and more every week as we keep talking about, but uh, still there's a ways to go here. And you'll find yourself, I would say, at least half the time going to places where you cannot use Apple Pay. So they've got a ways to go here before this really hits the critical mass that I think they want it to. Now, on the Android side, Samsung is reportedly working on its own mobile payment service for future smartphones that could launch sometime in 2015. According to Recode, using unnamed sources, Samsung is in talks with the startup company LoopPay to implement their payment technology in at least one of Samsung's devices. They state that LoopPay's technology can wirelessly transmit the same information stored on a debit or credit card's magnetic stripe to a store's checkout equipment without swiping a card. The company has embedded the technology, which it calls Magnetic Secure Transmission, into a few hardware products that it sells directly to consumers, which include a FOB as well as a LoopPay digital payment card that can be used on its own or while secured to a special LoopPay smartphone case. It's, uh, to complete a purchase, LoopPay users tap any of these devices near the spot on a store's credit card terminal where the card is usually swiped. The report says that a prototype of LoopPay's system is working on a Samsung phone though it's, has been, but has, and has been made. However, it adds that a deal between the two companies could still be actually pretty far apart. Neither Samsung nor LoopPay commented on Recode's report. Jumping into device news, just one device to talk about this week, and it comes to us from an unlikely company, and it's BlackBerry. The company on Wednesday officially launched the BlackBerry Classic smartphone. This is a device that's been rumored for the past six months. The phone has a 3.5-inch touchscreen with a 1-by-1 aspect ratio and 720p resolution. BlackBerry made the device to appeal to its legacy customers, such as the finance sector, and brought back the physical QWERTY keyboard, legacy control buttons, optical trackpad, and capacitive send and end, as well as back and menu keys. The phone has a 16-megapixel camera with 1080p HD video capture and a 2-megapixel user-facing camera. It runs BlackBerry OS 10.3.1 on a 1.5 gigahertz Qualcomm processor with 2 gigs of RAM, 32 gigs of storage, and support for microSD cards up to 128 gigabytes. The BlackBerry Classic boasts 22 hours of battery life and connectivity options include LTE, dual-band Wi-Fi, Bluetooth 4, FM radio, NFC, as well as geolocation services. BlackBerry is selling the classic directly to consumers through Amazon.com and its website for $449. Verizon and AT&T have both confirmed that they'll sell the classic. However, the launch date and price for each was not announced. Now, if you want to know what it looks like, go grab a BlackBerry Bold. It's very similar in the look uh, to that device, just a little bit bigger, though, uh, as they increase the screen size a tad, which is a nice thing. So it's a 3.5-inch square touchscreen, and uh, generally I think people are going to, if you like you're like the Blackberries of old, you're going to love this device. However, I think the biggest issue that uh, Blackberry is facing here is the fact that most people have just fa- 
flat out moved on from a physical QWERTY keyboard. And so I'd, I'm not really sure that they're going to gain a lot of momentum here with this one, other than a little bit of a nostalgia, of course, from some people that just want to have a physical QWERTY on their phone. Uh, but generally, I think it's, it's just going to be a niche device here and probably not going to do all that well sales wise, but we'll have to wait and see. In software news, Google provided updates to its Maps and Inbox applications for the Android platform. Inbox works better on tablets now and adds compatibility with Android Wear, including the ability to view messages and notifications and reply via voice. It also improves suggestions while users type. Google Maps now lets users filter search results by cuisine type, see their Google contacts when searching for addresses, and lets business owners claim and manage their listing pages. Both are free to download from the Google Play Store. Google also updated its Google Drive application for both Android and iOS. The Android version gained support for Google Now-style voice searching to help find files. Both versions gained support for a wider range of imported file formats. The iOS version can now upload files from Drive uh, to Drive from applications on a user's smartphone, such as Dropbox. Google Drive is free for both platforms. And finally, Amazon on Thursday began distributing a system update to the Fire Phone. Fire OS 3.6.5 adds a wide range of new features to Amazon's smartphone as well as the expected performance improvements and bug fixes. One of the new features is the ability to translate text and identify artwork using Firefly. This is Amazon's visual search tool. The camera gains a feature called Best Shot, which quickly takes three pictures in succession, allowing users to select the best of the bunch. A new feature also includes the ability to turn on or off SMS character counts, use more keyboard languages, block phone numbers, add custom ringtones, see more info on the lock screen, write and edit documents with WPS Office, connect to corporate VPNs, and sync calendars across Amazon devices. Amazon says the update also makes improvements to battery life. Fire OS 3.6.5 can be downloaded via Wi-Fi or installed from a computer. That is the only real update we had this week uh, from the uh, software side of things. Now, just one question comes to us from Dominic, and he says, guys, this is Dominic, and I have jumped. I have my Note 3 and a Nexus 6 uh, now, and I couldn't be happier with the Nexus 6. I was going to jump to the Note 4, but I was tired of TouchWiz and the lagginess it offers. I will miss my S Pen, but I will just go out and buy a stylus pen. So to my question, next year, since we already have a uh, Nexus 4, 5, and 6, and there's a Nexus 7 tablet, what will they call the next Nexus phone? I'm thinking maybe we'll call it the Nexus M or whatever they call the version of Android that starts with an M. What do you guys think? And happy holidays, Dominic. Well, Dominic, I've got a couple of thoughts here. Perhaps they'll uh, call it the next Nexus or maybe the Nexus 6S or Nexus 6 Plus. Wait a minute. That's all Apple. Uh, all kidding aside, I think they'll use probably a name again. So maybe go back to like the, the Galaxy Nexus uh, or something like uh, you're calling out here where it'll be like the Nexus uh you know, Nexus M or the Nexus, whatever the, the dessert that they choose. Um, and uh, so we'll see what happens there. But I think, yeah, Nexus 4, 5, and 6 are, are probably the end of the road for the numbers here. Obviously, um, you know, we're not going to see a 7, and uh, it doesn't make any sense to go higher than that. So we may also see I, just them just call it the Nexus, uh, I guess, is the other thing. So um, good guesses here, I guess, uh, and uh, we'll see what happens with this. But we've got a little ways to go here, a good uh, six to nine months before we see another one. And with that, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can give us a call to 206-203-3734 or sending us email works as well 
questions at thecellphonejunkie.com is a good email address to send them to. Also, if you would like to record on your phone and send us a direct audio file, you can email them to that same address, questions at thecellphonejunkie.com, and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. With that, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holidays in general to everybody out there, and thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.